Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hi, this is Mike with Rogue Media Network. As Texas opens back up, some of our shows have chosen to continue to record from remote locations. Some of our other shows have started recording in studio with very few people observing social distancing. Thanks for listening, and please be safe. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on Tragedy Plus Time. Everything's fine. I am your host, Summershine. This is a Rogue Media Network production. On this podcast, we're going to explore the deep wounds of tragedy, the way folks just like you survived said tragedy, and the nuances that we reflect on that now make us laugh. We're going to laugh, we're going to cry, and we're going to hear stories of profound survival, even when it didn't seem like it was possible. Sit back, buckle up, and get ready for the ride. Tragedy plus time, everything's fine. I am your co-host, Summer Shine. Um, you heard that right. I am now a co-host with my dear friend, Chrissy Rivers. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> you guys are going to love Chrissy so much. Season two is going to be really, really freaking awesome, um, mainly because Chrissy's joining us. Um, and she brings a lot of light and laughter to this podcast. And unfortunately for y'all, you can't see her, but she is one hot mama, okay? So I have the pleasure of looking straight into her eyes every week for this podcast, and I'm telling you, sexy. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Chrissy Rivers. Oh my goodness, I was not prepared for that. Um, let's see, uh, I, don't, I can't give you my bio. Um, <laughs> Give the bio, woman. Um, I don't really know what it is. Let's see. Um, I am a 41-year-old. Um, don't know why I start there. Dang it. I always do, too. Because 40 is, look, 41 is the new 21, okay? I mean, I really do feel like 40 is pretty fabulous as a female. Something, something about being in your 40s kind of makes people take you seriously, listen to you like you've had some life experience. For like the first time ever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is. You cross that threshold and all of a sudden you understand things or people think you do. So um, I'm a 41-year-old mom. I raised a, 
son um, by myself. He's 22. I am I'm also in recovery. Uh, Summer, Summer and I share that. So I'm really passionate about recovery and life and friendship and spirituality and um, kind of a wacko. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we've run in the same recovery circles for several years and people have always thought that Chrissy and I would be like best friends if we ever met. And turns out we met in Mexico. Weird. Yeah. Great story, but for another day. Um, and we did, we became best friends immediately and it was amazing. So lucky us. Yes. All right. Well, the cool thing about having a co-host is that you get to do things like say, Hey, Chrissy, take it away. All right. Well, so I'm really excited um, this week. I should have said I'm also um, a vocalist. I um, do some singing at churches. And so our first guest this season is my best friend, Krista Carter Springstead, um, who, uh, say hi, Krista. Hey, guys <laughs> and girls. <laughs> um, who we met um, singing at a church together. Gosh, how, what year was that? It was a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, something. Yeah, I think so. It's been a while. Um, and uh, so I wanted Krista to be a part of um, Tragedy Plus Time, Everything's Fine, because she has a really compelling story um, about what it's like to work as a worship leader in a church um, and, uh, and live life. Uh, I don't want to steal your, um, your story, but um, can you kind of tell us how you got into worship leading and like where you were in life? It was 100% an accident. Um, I'll do like the quick version. Okay. Um, when I was 16, I went with my brother's youth, like the church that my brother went to. I went to their like, youth camp and Sean, my brother, led worship um, for the youth group and he lost his voice. And I didn't know anybody there and I'd never sung before, but he was like, I can't sing, you have to sing, here's these songs, learn them. So I did and I really liked it. And so it sort of stuck. And so I went to college for interior design and did some like worship stuff on the side, just, you know, volunteer sing with my brother kind of a thing, um, most of college. And then um, I guess around 2012, I got a phone call from someone asking if I could come fill in and be a worship leader for a weekend. And I had never actually led worship on my own. I'd always just back, did like backup singing. But I can't say no, um, which is why I'm here right now. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but um, so they asked me to come do that and I did and it was fun. And then it just, it, before I knew it, I accidentally became a freelance worship leader and I ended up singing at like 14 different churches in a year. I would do three different churches a week um, for, I guess, maybe two years. And then from there, I ended up on staff again by accident at a church in Plano. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not a, a, a ministry person. I'm an interior designer. So, <laughs> whoops, but here I am. I remember that. I remember when you, when you took the job and you had posted about it and your post kind of started with, I am not a pastor because your title there was like worship pastor. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was, I was really interested in watching your journey because I sort of aspired to kind of, you know, follow along that path for a long time. Um, so it was really interesting to me to like, you know, follow your progress. Plus, I, I was super jealous of, you know, just your talent. It's a, it's a big, it's a big, bold gift that you have, you know, so it's not surprising that you were um, successful. Um, I feel like this is leading to a sing-off at some <laughs> point in this podcast. I mean, I'm just saying, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just throwing that out there. 
We don't compete. <laughs> flower does not look to the flower next to it to know when it's time to bloom. That's good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was pretty great. I think um, I say this podcast is worth it. I think that was. <laughs> if oh, you glean nothing else from today's podcast, people, that was it. That was the nugget. Strong women empower women. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you started this church and you're married at this time, right? You, you're married and um, while you're working there, you have a, a, a baby or two, right? I think it was two. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a baby before the freelance worship stuff started. And then right as I took the job, like the next week after I accepted the job at this church, <laughs> oops, I was pregnant. So I had to go in, I know it was really awkward. So I had to go in um, my first couple of weeks and, you know, kind of, so I'm going to need some time off <laughs> pretty soon, but it was okay. Yeah. So and, yes, I was married. Okay. So you're married and, um, you're, you're loving the, the gig, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. enjoying the job and getting to be creative and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So what sort of, um, like, where does this story take a, take a turn? Where <laughs> Before I started working at a church, I mean, back in 2007 when I got married, um, I got married to somebody who seemed, hmm, how, do you, how do you even <laughs> say this? He looked good on paper. Like, he's a beautiful person, a wonderful personality. He's so likable. Um, his family's good. They're, this is tacky, but, you know, they're well off. So it's like, oh, he's like blue blood. This is great. You know, I'm just some trashy girl from Mesquite. This is great. So, <laughs> so we hit it off, we get married. Um, and then about six months into the marriage is when I discovered that he's an alcoholic. And um, so we had a lot of roller coastery type stuff from, you know, I guess mid 2007 forward. And some parts of it were really super ugly and some parts were really wonderful. So it just kind of depended on, you know, I hate to say this cause it makes me sound, but um, it kind of depended on where he was in his recovery, whether we were okay or not, yeah. which that checks out, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think we can all kind of relate to that. I mean, I could tell you, even in my own marriage, we're, you know, we were okay when I was sober. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All my relationships are different when I'm, when I'm drinking. You know? Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was around 2000 and, well, it was 2016. We, we had just been at this church for about a year, or I had been on staff, and we decided to, we had a baby, and he's lovely, and we decided, hey, we should move, let's move closer to the church, and we buy this house, have it built, we move in, and guess who's pregnant again? And um, it was not good timing, <laughs> and I ended up losing that baby, and it was really traumatic for me to lose that baby. I actually miscarried while on stage at this church, um, which was gruesome but wait what yeah so <laughs> that's weird so we were recording a live album and the night of the recording is the night that I started miscarrying and like throughout the evening as we were recording this there was a video involved there's an album that's involved and like I was <laughs> you see the video and I'm like holding my back because I'm having labor pains this is kind of gruesome but so that was super traumatic for me because everyone else was like this album's great y'all sound so great but in my head I'm like <laughs> Yeah. Cool. I'm losing yeah. a baby while I'm singing these songs. It was, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's a crazy memory to me, you know? Yeah. 
I was there on, there with you singing that night. And, you know, the fact that you pushed through it was really pretty unbelievable. I mean, there was an audience full of people and equipment rented, like she was saying, and, you know, it was kind of a big deal. Um, and, but, you know, she had every, you had every reason to not be a part of it that night, but you, you came through. Um, I should have gone home, but FOMO is real. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm going to be on an album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gives, right? I think that gives really good context for how important um, the position yeah. and the yeah. community was to you, yeah. you know? Yes. So then things sort of start getting um, rockier in your marriage. Well, you also had like a, the transition of a boss that time, that right? Same, that same week, I got a new boss. And um, after the miscarriage, I mean, my marriage, like just, it tanked. Um, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I knew, I felt like I had lost him. I felt like I was completely alone. Well, he was in the house with me, but it just, I was, he wasn't there for me, you know? And I felt very um, isolated in like this trauma that I had gone through. And um, at work, it started getting bad because I don't, my, I'm not going to talk bad about anybody. So I just know that it, it felt like I was in trouble for going to doctor's appointments um, because I'm missing work and it's like, okay. But I remember specifically one time I had, I had to have a surgery and um, you spit a stitch. Do you know what that means? It's when like you've got interior stitches and one of them pops out and then like whoop, you've got a wound gaping open. And so, I know it's gross. So I'm headed to the surgeon to like have it fixed like right as it happens. And I call my boss and tell him like, I can't. Um, come to work. I can't be in our meetings. I've got to go get this fixed. And he's, he yelled at me and was like, you can't do this. You always put your life first. You can't, this is not okay. And he's like, everyone is making concessions in their job except you, Krista. And I was like, okay. So I cancel my appointment and go back to work. And long story short, um, they couldn't sew the wound up at that point. And so I ended up going septic and I had to have another surgery because of it and take more time off of work, which put me in more trouble. And it was just like, this is a nightmare, you know? And then at home, it wasn't a relief because I'd come home just upset about all the things. You've got this gaping hole in your stomach for four solid months. And that takes over your whole, like it takes over everything. Cause all you think about is this stupid wound. And um, it's, it's, it becomes an obsession and um, work was just not okay. And I didn't get any empathy here. And I felt just more and more like I'm just fighting a losing battle with everybody. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel kind of crazy. But um, the more all of that went on, the more I was like, something's not right in my life, but I don't know what it is, you know? And I kept thinking, maybe it's my job. Maybe it's where we live. Maybe this is just all wrong. Maybe I should see if I can get a job somewhere like Colorado and we could just set up shop there, run away from everything here and start over and see if that fixes it. And that was in my head was going to be the thing. Um, and so I started making applications and applying for a job in Colorado and um, kind of going forward with that. And it, at that time, it was probably about March of 2017, or it was May. And my husband went on a vacation with his family. Uh, it was a 12-day wait. Oh, well, I remember this. I remember oh. this vividly. I, yeah. Yes, you keep going, but I remember this trip. Um, <laughs> It's in the middle of me trying to figure out what's wrong with my life. And, and you didn't go on the trip? No, because it was, it was 12 days, it was 14 days, and I have two little kids, and what am I supposed to do with them? Yeah, and it was the end of school year, and it was my daughter's kindergarten year, and I felt like, plus, 
if I'm being honest, I didn't want to hang out with my in-laws for 14 days. Okay, this is going on public, right? <laughs> Listen, it's okay. It's okay, girl, it's okay. It's okay. I didn't want to be like, no, you can't go on the trip. I'm like, go have fun. Don't let me hold you back. So he went and about day three, I started feeling like, woo, you know, like I felt alive and I don't know why. This is what I remember because up to then for months, it felt like you were just so deeply unhappy. And, um, and I would think, man, I don't know. There's nothing I can do about this, but I, my, my friend is deeply unhappy. And then all of a sudden you were like a light switch flipped. And I mean, you were bright and light and it was like you had just been turned on from the inside out. And I remember, I remember saying to you like one night at dinner or something like, you seem really good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I think we, we subsequently had a conversation like, you were like, yeah, I am really good, you know? So um, yeah, just as an observer, that was a very marked moment even in my mind in your life. Well, even still, it wasn't that obvious to me until he got back home. And it was like, all of a sudden, just boom, like all my energy was gone. And it was like, everything's wrong again. And that's when I started to think, I, th I think this is my marriage that's the problem. It's not me, it's not where I live, it's not my job, it's not, and it's not necessarily him, it's us, you know? Uh, yeah. And so I had to like really like, Kind of figure that out. And how did you do that? Well, up until this point, um, I wasn't sure that I believed in God anymore. Mm. Which is super exciting when you work as a pastor at a church yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, yeah, I don't know if I buy into all of this. Um, it's it makes you feel you are a fraud. Can I just say something though? Yeah. I feel like I trust people more who have had this experience. Like Amen. I trust pastors more who have said at some point, I'm not sure if I believe in God anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Amen. I mean, I think that, you know, I know that you're going to elaborate about this, but my opinion is after being so heavily involved in churches that the biggest thing that turns people away from the church is the fact that the church leadership quite often need, feels the need to be perfect mm -hmm. and transfer that across the leadership within their church yeah. and um and and it's handed down to people who attend to think that we are supposed to be perfect the people who teach grace are teaching perfection and it's confusing you know yeah so so um, i remember kind of always having these moments where i pray to this god that i don't believe in what was that song do you remember that song it doesn't matter but <laughs> that's one of the lyrics to this song. i heard it today you did. i heard it today I think it's What's Take Me to Church by, um, Hozier. Hozier. Yeah, I don't remember, but I, I just, I thought of that phrase when I said that line, but I, I would pray to this God that I didn't really believe in anymore. Like, please just figure out a way to make me believe in you again. Like, do what it takes. I just need something. And, um, we kind of fast forward to July of that year and we went on a, um, family trip with my parents to Colorado for my, my parents have a, a timeshare condo in Beaver Creek. And so we went that summer to um, go on a family vacation. And one of the days we were there, my husband and I decided to go on a hike. And I'm not really like an outdoorsy kind of girl so much. 
and I'd never done this before, um, but we went on this hike and it was brutal guys because I'm not an outdoorsy girl, but I was wearing the wrong shoes, but I was in it. We're going to make this happen. We're going to get halfway up this mountain and go our five miles or whatever to this lake that's there. And I ended up slipping on a, like a boulder and sliding into the rapids. And I was up to my, my chest in water and it, it, it made me go about, I guess, 15 feet in like down the creek. And I grabbed for a tree root and I'm holding on to it thinking like, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't good. This is how people get severely hurt. And I remember shouting for my husband and he came and he saved my life. And we had like, y'all, we were like 15 minutes into this hike. We had just started. And I was like, I'll be darned if we don't finish this stupid thing and go see that dumb lake. So with my squishy shoes all the way up this mountain, we get to the top and guess who falls in the lake again, or falls into the lake when we get to the top of the mountain. I slid oh. another cliff because my crappy shoes and into the, into the lake I go. <laughs> so it was a brutal hike, right? But mm -hmm. it, it was worth it because you go up to this lake in the middle of a mountain and it's like the, 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 the water is crystal clear and there's these little squirrels that want to eat your fingers. And it, it was just like, I don't know. I was waiting for like Snow White to come around the corner. It was beautiful. And I thought, this is, this is good. I enjoy this. Um, and as we finished the hike up and like the next week when we get home, I started thinking about like, I need to do that again, but this time I need to not fall. <laughs> this time I need to like conquer it and not be like lame, you know? So I kept, it, like the more the days went on, the more like this need to go back was like overtaking me. So I say to my husband, I think I'm going to go back. And I asked my parents if I can use their condo again. And um, off I went by myself. I drove there, you know, the 17 hours in one day and uh, I hiked for two days and then I drove back. And so um, on the first day that I hiked, I did that same hike that he and I had gone on. And like, I didn't, I didn't die that time. And I bought new shoes. <laughs> so I didn't slip as much <laughs> on cliffs. But then the second day I was like, that wasn't enough. Like I did that, that was great. Like I need to go harder. So um, in hindsight, this was stupid. I don't think this is a good idea for anyone who's not really an outdoorsy person. Um, I feel like... This is a very good time to mention that you are an Enneagram 8. I should have said that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go harder. And I'm like, eh, she's an 8. Just, you guys remember, if you're like a 2 or a 5, you know, it's good. Don't tell me what <laughs> I can't do. <laughs> yeah, also, this is how episodes of Dateline start. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice though, they really mean flavor. Like in your face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either, but it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice, anything but subtle. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. 
there are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. But here I am with brand new shoes, not knowing what I'm doing. I've got my son's backpack is covered in dinosaurs on. <laughs> I put a couple of bottles of water and a handful of like um, granola bars and I'm like, we're fine. And so I go up this mountain and I get to that lake and it's perfect and it's great. And I'm proud of myself, but I was like, that's not enough. So I keep walking off the trail and I go another four miles up off trail. My phone doesn't get reception. It's fine, right? And as I'm going up this stupid mountain and I'm so determined and so stubborn and the further I get up there, like I know that there, I knew that there was another lake and I, I needed to see this other lake is what it all boils down to. And so I'm getting closer and closer, I think but I don't really know. And my legs are giving out. I'm crying because I'm like, I'm not meant for this. I'm a city girl. Um, but I finally make it to the top, go around this corner and there's this lake and there's butterflies and there's flowers and there's this cliff behind me with um, snow on it. And it's unbelievable. And I just sat down and just sobbed because I found the thing that God wanted me to see. I don't know why I, he wanted me to see it, but I found it. And so I sat on this rock and just cried it out for about 30 minutes. And then was like, well, I guess I should go back down now. So <laughs> down I go. And when I finish, I start thinking about, like, as I'm going down seven and a half miles down this mountain, I start thinking about, like, why? Why was I brought on this trip? Why did I need this thing? Why did I feel so compelled when I don't even really believe in God anymore? What, what was happening? And I got this overwhelming feeling. This is probably kooky, but it's what it is. I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. <laughs> to someone who doesn't believe in God, it, it, it's kooky. Yeah. At the time I didn't. Um, so I got this whole feeling of Krista, you went on this hike with, with your husband and it was super hard. You kept falling in the river and you know, um, it was the hardest thing you've ever done, but you were able to do that with your husband and it was wonderful. And he said, but today you went up this mountain and you went much further off beaten path. It was the hardest thing you've ever done. You didn't think you could do it. You were all alone and you did it because you're strong enough to do it. And he said, either, he, it was like this vision of your life is either this hike that was with your husband or this hike that was on your own, both very hard, but God was there with me both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of gave me this feeling like, oh, so if, if divorce is what's in the cards for me, I can go with that thinking that God's still gonna be there for me. He may not like it, he may not approve of it, but I'm not losing him for it. And that was, the, that was the first time in a very long time that I felt like God's there with me, for me. Yeah, which is, I mean, to me, such a profound message, you know? Um, and so this entire time, like you're having this experience and back home, work and marriage are getting tougher. Um, right and uh the drinking at home was kind of escalating is that right yeah you know he never drank much whenever i was home it was always every time i went on a road trip to see a friend or um you know i was out of town for whatever reason i'd come home and it was like well, what's happened here um and it would be the situation where he would end up going on a bender and so i never the drinking didn't happen often when I was around. It was when I wasn't there. But what happened a lot, just on a day-to-day -day basis, was 
the other stuff that happens with addiction, you know, spending money, um, irresponsibility. But I felt like I was kind of carrying him around and like being, this sounds so arrogant, but I felt like I was being responsible for him all the time. And it was really exhausting. Um, but then I went to a, um, a pastor's retreat with like, I think 30 something of the pastors from the church I was at. I was at a big church at the time, huge church. And all 30 pastors were taken to this giant house in Florida and it was paid for by somebody who was, you know, a congregant at the church. They kind of funded this whole thing. And we all had, I think, four days, maybe five days um, out on the beach to just kind of reset and to, um, you know, fellowship or whatever. Yeah. And um, on Thursday of that week, I called the house, to, or I called my ex-husband to see how things were going. And I could tell the second he said hello that he was drunk, like very drunk. And um, he was supposed to be leaving to go pick my son up from our, our son up from daycare. And that's a 15, 20 minute drive from our house. And I panicked because I'm 14 hours away and my husband's drunk and he's going to go pick up my kids from school. And I, y'all don't understand the kind of hopeless. My parents live down the street from us about four miles, um, but they were also out of town. And so all of my friends were with me. <laughs> Yeah. Or they, you know, no one had a car seat and my, it's time to pick my son up from school. And I just lost my brain. So I ended up having to call the school and do not let my son go home with my husband. He's drunk. He's coming up there, get the security guards, call the police if you need to, <clears throat> but he can't go home with his dad. Let me just figure out what to do. Can you all hang on to him until I can figure out who can come get him? And his teacher took him to our neighbor's house. There's a nanny who works next door um, with the kids there. And so I called the next door neighbor and said, can my kids come there? And so the school teacher brought my son all the way over here and to the neighbor's house. And I called my daughter's school and said, please don't let her go home. Let her go to the neighbors. Um, this is why. And so they were there until 8.30 that night. I get a phone call from my husband. He's like, do you know where our kids are? So. Yeah. At that point, it was like, we're done. Right. So you're on this pastor's retreat. There's 30 of you and this happens and you sort of, is that when you decided like, I'm going to, I'm I need, I need to get a divorce. Correct. Okay. And it's and kind then, of a slow, it's kind of a slow process from there because it was like, well, first I need to figure out how to separate and get him out of the house. And so we did that almost immediately. And um, he moved in with a couple from the church and <clears throat> Then about, I decided to stay separated for about four months. I'd give it some time. So we stayed separated from, you know, November, December, January, February or so when I, that's when I kind of made my decision. Like life has been better this four months. It's harder because, you know, finances or whatever. Um, and the kids are really confused, but we're better off here, you know? Yeah. So I went to my boss and told him that I decided that I was going to fall for divorce. And that's when all the real problems started in my life. Right. Yeah, because all of a sudden you had church leadership involved in your marriage. Right, and they were not okay with me getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. Though they had seen all of the roller coaster from our whole marriage, and they were there with me whenever I found out that he was trying to drive drunk with our kids, um, they were not okay with it. And um, specifically, my direct boss. And he became a bully and abusive about it. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I remember having lots of conversations with you about that and um, seeing how it was, you know, pulling you apart. And I remember 
from my own point of view, feeling really conflicted, you know, like, um, because also I loved it there, you know, and um, I, I do think a lot about, well, this might be a comment for later, but now that, now that I don't go there anymore, I think about the Andy Grammer song Spotlight a lot, you know, because it was a huge church, you know, um, and there was a lot of perks. It was glamorous. Be, it was very glamorous, you know, um, and there was a lot of motivation to want to be a part of it. And now, and I can remember you being like pulled off the stage and yes. singing in your place and um, meetings happening, you know, behind your back, sort of about what was going to happen with your marriage. What was that like? So after I told my boss that I was going to file for divorce, like all hell broke loose <clears throat> and all of the leadership at the church started having these meetings um, about my life and about my marriage and about my choices and what they needed to do about it. And then they would come to me after the meeting and I would hear about what they all said, you know, about me. Um, I never got to voice anything. I was never invited to these meetings. It was all of them just kind of counseling together on my choices. And they knew that the direct boss was against it completely. And to my face, it was like, Krista, we don't think that, we think what you're doing is the right thing, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> and it could always be that. And my direct boss was like, I don't want her singing at our campus. And so I was pulled off the stage and it was like, okay, we can't let you lead worship anymore um, for a period of time. We don't know how long, um, but you'll still get paid. And I was like, well, okay. So I fought my fight that summer sitting by the pool, <laughs> getting paid, <laughs> not doing much, but I don't know what they were expecting in that four month time that I took, took, you know, that I wasn't allowed to sing. But I did get, I, I was in a meeting at one point with uh, one of the executive pastor and his, it was like he was sent as the messenger for the leadership team. And he was like, we just think you should consider staying um, separated permanently or for an extended period of time and yes. i was like that so that. Me i remember that wait, wait what they wanted you to be separate permanently mm -hmm. separated mm -hmm. that's called divorce <laughs> well so his words were that we've looked at case studies and um we've seen other situations like this where people were able to live you know fulfilled lives and i was like so when you're an Enneagram 8 and someone says something like this to you, you're like, <laughs> watch me. <laughs> so I remember looking him dead in the eye when he said that. And I said, so you're not going to give me a timeline of how long I have to stay separated so that you guys are satisfied with your choices. And I was like, so how am I going to tell my daughter when she's 25? And she says, mom, why didn't you get remarried? And I'm going to say, well, sweetheart, I couldn't because a group of middle-aged white men told me that I wasn't allowed to get a divorce. Exactly. And when I said that, he was like, well, when you put it like that, and it was like, yeah, you go back and tell your friends next time you'll have a meeting about me that I just said that. And I decline your offer for staying permanently, permanently separated. Yeah. So at that point, it, like, um, is that pretty much when you decided that you were going to look for other opportunities or how, <laughs> how did this other thing like, you, you ended up leaving, obviously, or we yeah. wouldn't be having this conversation, but um, how did the other opportunity come about? I did not know what I was going to do. I was on full-on panic mode because it's like, I can't stay here. Um, they're going to keep him 
and they're going to fire me or push me away or I don't know. They, they kept using the phrase like, we don't know what we're going to do with you. We don't know what we're going to do with Krista. At the end of this, you know, sabbatical, quotation marks, we don't know what we're going to do with Krista. And it was like, I know what you're going to do with me. You're going to put me back to do my job where I'm effective and we're all going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. um, but that never was anyone's plan. So yeah. um, at the time I had kind of heard, and I didn't think like, look, here's the thing. I'm just an interior designer. I'm not actually a worship pastor. <laughs> so like, what other church is actually going to hire me, especially when I'm a broken bird because I'm getting a divorce, you know? So it's like, I've got to figure out something. Um, I guess I'm going to have to start robbing banks. <laughs> I remember that. I remember thinking like, what is she going to do? You know, how is this going to work? Which just in hindsight also makes me crazy. It yeah. makes me crazy that, you know, something like a, 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 the dissolution of a marriage determines someone's value to, to, you know, worship God in front of people. You know, the value of God is not, um, is, oh, I'm just going to preach. God's value <laughs> ever, ever declines because of the choices that we make, you yeah. know? I mean, in every decision that we make that is, um, maybe questionable by other people or, um, we get, you know, it's confusing for us. It's always just like this testament to like who God is, you know? So it, it just in hindsight and at the time infuriated me to think that, you know, church leadership at that time wasn't thinking of, um, what, you know, what kind of representation you could be as a divorced woman in leadership, you know, because that is your strength. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So you <laughs> Well, there was also the, the fact that my the executive pastor kept having my direct boss and I go to counseling together. Like we had to go to couples counseling. I guess to work him through my marriage or my divorce. <laughs> and the second time that happened, I told him I refuse to do this again. This is abusive and I'm not doing this. So, you know, find something else for us to do. Can I just say that I love you? Oh my God. I would have gone for like 19 sessions and then been like, I'm highly uncomfortable with this. And I have been since day one. So you rock. Thank well, even, you. Even the counselor, I saw her face and she's like, what? The whole session was like, is this really happening? It was just, it, the whole thing was like, this is a nightmare. This can't be happening with this church that I've been at off and on in my life for 10 years. And these are my family. What is even going on? You know, it just it was shocking. So I, at this point, had no clue what I was going to do for a job or what was going to happen. But then this random situation happened where another church in town was looking for a worship leader. And I kind of just blew it off because I thought, oh, they're probably not going to pay well or like they wouldn't want me because, you know, I'm going to be divorced or whatever. And um, I don't know if my, our friend's going to like me telling this part of the story, but they actually hired her. She applied for the job. She got hired for it. And for whatever reason, thank you, Jesus, she um, turned it down. And I was like, what? Why would you turn it down? This is a great opportunity. She, she had her reasons. And that's another story. And it's a beautiful story. <clears throat> but whenever she told me, and I was like, so and it felt like, so you're not with that guy anymore. Can I date him? Like, it felt like that. <laughs> so I apply for the job. And I think there's no way. They're not going to hire me. But I go into my interview. And I'm in the room with like 12 different people. And I sit down. And I say like, okay, before we start this, I'm going through a divorce. So just and lay that out there. What, they, how, what did they say? What was their reaction? They're like, oh, we're so sorry. All right, so tell us about your you know, work history. <laughs> I was like, ah, I like this place. Also, this job paid significantly more. 
Yeah. I mean, I want to say that. I, <laughs> Mike may need to edit it out later, but I mean, I think it was pretty, pretty significant because you were in the, the middle of this divorce situation and money was problematic and, you know. Hold my prayers is what it did. So they hired me and the funny thing is, is the day I started was actually the day, the four months of like Krista not being able to sing was over. So guess what? Everyone wins. I don't work anymore. The four months is over. Y'all can keep y'all's happy church and I'm going to go and lead worship and be effective where I'm going. I love this. <laughs> I love this. And I want to tell you the greatest thing that I heard in all of this was um, that Broken people are standing on stage, preaching perfect, uh, preaching a perfect perfection. You know, like, that is so powerful that you, how many people can you reach? Chrissy just said it. How many divorced people could you reach if you had been allowed to say, you know? And you standing up for yourself? Oh, my God. Can you just teach children, little girls, how to stand up for themselves? It should be like a class. In the whole story of the divorce and the church abuse and everything is when I was taught the Enneagram, ironically by another pastor at the previous church. And I remember sitting there and listening to them talk about the eights and everything that you, you hear about an Enneagram eight was all the stuff that my husband always said about me, but he said it with distaste in his mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you're controlling, you're angry, you're too much, you're aggressive. You have too many opinions. You're overcritical. But whenever you read it in the Enneagram, it's like, you're controlling. <laughs> you're aggressive. It's so cool. You have so many opinions. And I'm like, yeah, I sound kind of awesome. <laughs> and it's the first time in my entire life that I felt like I was celebrated in a way. And it's literally the same words that other people had always used to be like, shame on you for being who you are. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me this voice and it gave me a backbone and it gave me muscles to where it was like, I have to stand up for myself because I'm an Enneagram 8 and this has to be done. And people are not going to like me and I'm going to lose a very large amount of friends and I'm going to lose a boatload of family. Okay. Right. Hmm. Okay. Because also God had told you back on the mountain side, you know, like you can take this path. It might be harder, you know? It and might be alone when you do it. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. That's amazing. And, that's and amazing. I, you know, I went from having like a whole grouping of friends to having a handful and I like my handful and they're solid. And so. And you can trust them. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, like me. I'm shady. Yeah. You're so shady, Chrissy. That's what I think of every time I talk to you. I'm like, oh, shady Chrissy. <laughs> So what do you feel like, um, what do you, what, what do you feel like are the things that you would, if you could pass on some um, advice maybe, or um, words of wisdom to another woman who's going through a divorce and feeling alienated, like how would you cheer her on or um, what would you tell her to do? I would tell her that it's okay if you're alone. Because if you're alone and you like yourself, you're still in good company. <laughs> I just made that up right now. Yeah, I like that. Can we get t-shirts that say that? I think this summer we need t-shirts that say that. I'm in. But if you if you let, you know, if you let your life be controlled by a bunch of dudes that don't know what they're talking about and they don't, they haven't walked your life or walked your walk, um, I would be miserable. I would have my, I'd feel like my hands were tied. I'd feel small. I'd, no, 
Yeah. But sitting here saying, I deserve better and my kids deserve better. And while we're, you know, it's, a, it's been a struggle for them to have separated and divorced parents. Um, I feel like I've taught my daughter that if things aren't right, it's okay to stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, can I tell you um, a time in my life when white men were making decisions for me tell is me. Uh, when I was a prostitute. And so Ooh. there you go. Same. Same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when are you going to let, when are you going to draw the line? Mm -hmm. And I think that you did a great job. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Me too. I'm proud of both of you. That was pretty powerful, Summer. You know, and I love strong women and, um, and, and I love strong men. I want to say that too. Like, I think we all are really fans of strong, powerful men. However, you know, let, let your reach stop with, you know, when it infringes on, on my rights and my, you know, ability to make decisions for myself, you know? Yeah. So, well, that was really great. Um, I've loved talking to you about this. Is there any, do you have any kind of final thoughts that are hanging out in your mind? I believe in God again. <laughs> okay, I just started crying. <laughs> he's he's different to me than he was then. He's, he's a lot more loving. And it's a good, it's, it's good to know him in this way and to have this kind of relationship where it's like, I feel empowered. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird, maybe. No way. It's beautiful. Not weird at all. It makes me trust your relationship with him much more. Yeah. That's amazing. So Man, this was really awesome. I'm really glad that we had you on the show. These are like the stories that need to be heard. You know what I mean? Because there are people out there right now that are going through the same kind of thing. This is spiritual abuse, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm glad that you made it through it. And it's I'm glad that I got to hear it. It's interesting that my divorce was simple compared to that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> no. Well, I'm grateful that you came on today, Krista. You, this was a powerful story and I'm so glad that I got to hear it and be a part of it. Chrissy, uh, congratulations on having really cool friends. I know, I have such good taste. <laughs> you do! Also, I brought her with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a good part of the story. Well, I was really good girl. I was a very good girl. And I didn't badmouth anybody while this whole thing was going on. And I didn't tell the story and, you know, talk smack or, you know, I was the bigger person. But as soon as I got this new job, I'm like, come Hey, what was cool for it. me? I got to say this. What was great for me about that was that I had, there was so much competition because the church was so big, the other church. And I always, I had all these doubts about my own ability um and krista was always really affirming of my ability and so she brought me with her just to just for the opening weekend and it went so well that they invited me back and week after week you know we're like just come on with us and i never went back to the other place i came that's amazing for one weekend just to test it out and i never went back and you know that's that's a wrap on that it's pretty pretty empowering for me as well you know i like it they embraced me and i love that <laughs> You guys are awesome. Thanks for being who y'all are. Thanks for being right. here, Krista. Yeah, for real. All right. I love you both. Love you guys. All right. Bye. bye.
Guys, thanks again for listening. You are amazing. This show is nothing without your support. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please hit the subscribe button and show us some love. My name is Summer Shine. You can find me on all the social meds or check out my website at summershinespeaks.com to hear more about what's going on in my world. A huge shout out to Rogue Media Network for all their time, love, and support. Wouldn't even be a thing without these guys. Make sure you check out their other shows and tune in again next week. A special thanks to Fish Hands for our theme music. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to Bandcamp and check out more from them. Remember, your story isn't over yet. You're still here for a reason. This tragedy is just one of the spaces in your life, and there is life on the other side. You'll make it out alive. You know how I know? I did. Peace out. Hello, I'm Ann Harder. Central Texas Living has found a new home on the Rogue Media Network in a podcast. Join me each week as I talk to a new guest from our community that you may know or have always wanted to. We'll talk about exciting events, progress, changes in our little part of the world, and much more. And if you've got people you'd love to hear from on the podcast, just drop me a line at ann at roguemedianetwork.com. The show you've loved over the years on television is now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and we'll see you next time on Central Texas Living. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.